0: Welcome to Breaking into Startups, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. So the month of May is coming up, which means that thousands of college students will be graduating and looking for jobs. What most people don't know is that according to CareerBuilder, 47% of college-educated workers have jobs outside of their majors. On today's episode, we sit down with Saruch Marain, who got a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering while he was in college. Afterwards, he worked for several years as an industrial engineer before he decided to switch over to software engineering. After attending Hack Reactor, Saroosh found a job at Uber, and that's where he was working when we taped this episode. Since then, he switched over to Google, and now he's doing machine learning and app search as a software engineer. So what's cool about Saroosh is, on his free time, he's a volunteer and the lead instructor at Mission Bit. What Mission Bit does is they're helping high school kids learn how to code. If you're interested in that, or maybe you know someone who's a, a high school student who wants to learn how to code, then tell them to check out episode number 33 with Stevon Cook, who is the CEO of Mission Bit. On that episode, Stevon talks about what it was like growing up in San Francisco in public housing, and what he's doing now in order to bring tech education to those communities. If you are tuning in for the first time, we want you to know that we put together a video course called the five step challenge and the course is completely free and it's meant to take you from challenge to challenge as you're creating a roadmap that you will use to navigate your way into tech. So if you are about that life, go to breakingthesharbs.com forward slash challenge and sign up. Over the last couple of weeks, we had dozens of people sign up and it's one of the best ways to meet others in the community who are also breaking into startups and get direct advice from Arthur, Rubin, and myself. So without further ado, let's break in.
1: Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Arthur and Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah, so we're sitting here on a Sunday. It's about five o'clock, and uh, we're recording this podcast out of Telegraph Academy. We have a very special guest uh, on the podcast today. Arthur, can you please tell us about the guest? Yeah, for sure. So today we have Sarush Maran, who's a software engineer at Uber. Before that, he was an industrial engineer And uh, Saroj graduated from UC Berkeley a few years ago. So before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about kind of where you're from and uh, what you were up to before you jumped into tech?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, short synopsis is uh, I was born in the UK. My entire family's from Iran. They moved to the UK. I was born there. We moved to the States shortly after that. Grew up a little bit in New York, then Southern California. Came up here for university where I studied industrial engineering. Immediately after school, I worked at a small startup doing um, industrial engineering and consulting for biopharma companies. A few years into that gig, I decided I wanted to pivot a little bit into software engineering as opposed to industrial. So I left my job, went to Hack Reactor for three months, and then, you know, shortly after that, started at Uber. Nice. So can you you, take us a little bit back uh, when you were in college? uh, What
0: were some of your interests, maybe even as far as going back as high school? uh, What were the subjects that you were interested in Uh, what activities did you do uh, on your free time?
2: Yeah, sure. So I suppose let's go back to high school. I was always more of a technically-minded sort of person. So, you know, I did enjoy the sciences. I enjoyed math, statistics, uh, economics, uh, those sorts of things. As far as academics go, I was technically on the cross-country team, but I was pretty terrible at it. (laughs) Uh, In addition to that, you know, I was in band, uh, mock trial, like the usual sorts of like uh, extracurriculars here and there. Nothing necessarily super software software centric mm-hmm. uh, i wasn't one of those kids that was you know programming when uh he or she was you know 10 or uh, you know middle school or high school my high school did not have ap computer science or anything mm-hmm. along those lines and actually my first exposure to actually writing code was freshman year at cal mm-hmm. and uh i guess when you got to college uh like why did you
0: take a computer science course was it just required or were you do you have any interest in it at that point in time
2: I mean, when I went to Cal, I was, you know, totally undeclared. I didn't even know I wanted to be in engineering at all. Specifically, it's a different school that you have to apply to Mm -hmm. within the university. I just took computer science because I'm like, okay, this is something I've been hearing about for a long time, might as well. So they have, you know, the intro, like sort of 101 course, but actually prior to that, they have, um, you know, CS3, which is for people who've never really Mm -hmm. ever touched computer science. So you can get some sort of basic understanding of how things work before you move on to 61A, which is the uh, first major uh, computer science class there yeah
1: and and before thinking about going into industrial engineering uh were you thinking about music like i know you played in band like what did what'd you play
2: yeah yeah so um yeah i wasn't considering music as you know a career or a major but i did actually spend some time at the in the cal concert band as well i played saxophone since you know uh, elementary school even um and it's just something i had uh going through all the way uh, up until college um what is it? I was not part of the Cal Marching Band just because the time commitment for that group was just enormous. I knew a few mm-hmm. people in there and I pretty much never saw them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of tricky with, you know, considering class schedules and stuff like that. But, you know, was, I spent a semester in the uh, Cal Concert Band as well.
1: Yeah. So you so you took the you did the music, you took the one on one class. So what made you want to do industrial engineering?
2: Yeah, sure. So at that point as I said, I wasn't entirely sure what my major wanted to be. I was also leaning towards, you know, maybe economics, you know, maybe something along the lines of finance. You know, taking CS 61A was just part of me just picking and choosing and trying a whole bunch of different courses and seeing what I liked. Eventually, you know, I decided okay, I do want to go the engineering route, the technical route. And I was trying to decide exactly what I wanted to do, and industrial engineering to me seemed like a, you know, very open-ended sort of option. You know, the kind of the way describe, it's not really engineering in the sense that you build stuff, but, you know, it has a lot of statistics, operations research, it's focused on optimizing systems, and you know, taking a look at things at a very high level view. And I figured, okay, if I go down this route, you know, I'd be pretty well equipped to transition to you know where I want to go. And I wasn't necessarily sure on whether or not I wanted to go like an extremely technical route, just be an extreme like specialist mm-hmm. in one sort of engineering field. So it felt like a safe bet at the time.
0: Nice. So I guess you're about to graduate college. Uh, where did
2: you end up? Kind of, how did you approach finding a job, and like what industry to go into, what company to pick? So it was actually pretty simple for me. What ended up happening was uh, I think it was my junior year. I was taking a course; it was simulations uh, in you know, in the industrial engineering department. And I, you know, kind of needed some spare cash, so I went up to the professor. I'm like, "Hey, do you know any uh, any internships or anything you can think of that I can just take part time during the year?" And he knew this small startup that was uh, nearby, and you know, he referred me to them. I interviewed, and yeah, I had a small gig I was doing part time. The following year, I actually decided to stay at Berkeley for the summer, so I could actually take a a Farsi course while I was there. It was one of those heritage courses. I could speak fluently, but not read or write, so I figured I'd learn that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Made my grandparents happy I could write a card. (laughs) And then, you know, I continued to work there that summer and a little bit part-time the next year, and then, you know, just feel natural, just transition to a full-time role uh, immediately after college. Nice. So for our listeners who may not know,
0: kind of what does industrial engineering entail? Like what types of classes and skill sets do you need to be able to do that job?
2: Yeah, sure. So the full name of the major was industrial engineering and operations research at other places. It's, you know, like at Stanford, it's called management science. Pretty much it's, it's the field of engineering that's devoted to, you know, logistics, uh, supply chains, uh, optimization of systems. So for example, what I did, uh, my previous role was we had a simulation toolkit that was built in-house by our, you know, software engineers, but the industrial engineers used it in that we would go to, say, a pharmaceutical company like Genentech, for example. We would build a simulation of their you know, manufacturing uh, center, and then we would you know, run a whole sort, a whole series of statistical analyses on it, and determine you know, exactly where the bottlenecks are, how much each thing needs to be optimized by, and essentially, like, where should you allocate funds to improve your run rate? You know, so typical skills an industrial engineer learns in schools, you know, statistics, probability, mm-hmm. some stuff like linear programming, simulations. But, you know, it's not quite the same as, like, mechanical engineering where you're learning, you know, like, actually, you know, material science or, you know, how to actually build engines or actually physically build things, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a wishy-washy, you know, form of engineering in that sense. But, you know, there's some interesting, valuable skills there. Like, I, I'm still glad that I have a, a strong statistics background because it's, you know, surprisingly uncommon in a lot of fields. Yeah. yeah. And so you, so you graduated. Did you get your first job at Genentech or what no, was no, your no, first no. job? So I was working at this uh, startup. Genetic was just one of the companies we consulted for. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So kind of take us back to the point
0: where uh, you're working as an industrial engineer for the startup. And um, at what point did you realize, because uh, in our pre-interview you said at some point you realized you wanted to switch careers or you mm-hmm. want to try something else. Kind uh, of take us back to the point when you decided to, to switch and also what steps did you take to find that next job?
2: Yeah, sure. So you know at that point, by the time I graduated, I'd been with the group for about you know two years, and um you know another year after that, you know it just slowly started to dawn on me that I was you know continuously tackling the same problem again and again, and I wasn't really necessarily developing any you know new skills. I wasn't really improving mm-hmm. as an engineer in that sense. I got very good at the company's proprietary technologies, but I came to the realization that if I were to put something on my resume under like skills, uh, it wouldn't be much different than when I started. also, I was just kind of getting bored at you know tackling the same mm-hmm. problem repeatedly. So you know, about a year in, I decided, okay, I'll look for you know another opportunity. You know, it was a great gig, like don't get me wrong, but you know, for me personally, I just wanted something where where the rate of growth personally was a little more rapid. As far as steps I took, you know, I just slowly started, you know, built together a resume, sent it out to a few places. You know, I knew people working at all the major you know tech companies and stuff like that. And I initially started with you know not full on software engineering because I didn't you know have that background. I wasn't coding actively every day, but you know, data science, you know stuff where I could, you know, leverage my statistics background, and, you know, just general engineering, you know, technical background, and, you know, was met with uh, limited success. So was continuously doing that for, you know, a good nine to 12 months, but I wasn't doing it full time. It was just yeah. like, while I was working, I was applying, you know, offhand, uh, nine to 12 months time before I decided to just quit my job and do Hack Reactor.
0: Okay. And what, what led you to, um, I guess, pick Hack Reactor and then how did you come to that realization that you wanted to be a software engineer?
2: And how would you describe limited success? Just for the most part, not getting any responses back. The few phone screens and on sites I got, I you know clearly didn't get offers from. But you know the biggest problem was I didn't have an in demand skill set at that point. And to answer your question about you know how I found out about Hack Reactor and how I ultimately made that decision. So during this process, when I was looking for you know a new opportunity. I met with a friend of mine who was a software engineer at LinkedIn. He went on to found his own startup, but he, you know, we were chatting about what I was trying to do and he mentioned that he'd worked with, you know, someone at LinkedIn who had gone through Hack Reactor, Um, you know, came from a completely non-traditional background, wasn't an engineer, wasn't anything. And, you know, I asked him, oh, what is this? This seems like something that might be up my alley. Uh, Tell me a little bit more. And, you know, he showed me the Business Insider article about it. And, you know, ultimately what I found out at that point was, you know, you got to quit your job for three months and it costs about $18,000 you know, at that point I was like, okay, no, 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 you know, this seems kind of mm-hmm. neat, but you know, probably in for me, you know, fast forward a few months, uh, you know, still sending out applications. One of the more junior engineers of the company I was working at who graduated a year after me quits and leaves for hack reactor. Yeah, And I'm like, okay, at this point, like I'm kind of sci- starting to see why someone would do that. Like, you know, you, I was, you know, he was probably realizing he was kind of stuck in that same sort of limited, uh, limited growth sort of role. So at that point, I'm like, okay, I need to do something drastic at this point. Like I can't keep kind of Mm -hmm. offhand applying to jobs. I wasn't, I was just starting to get very unhappy at that point. So I consulted my dad. And uh, what my father told me was, you know, several years, way, way, way back. uh, He was, he is a pathologist, but you know, way back when, when he was still kind of, you know, a younger doctor, he was offered the opportunity to do some additional training in dermatology, which would have made him a dermatopathologist or something. I'm sure the medical folks listening would probably know better than I do. And he decided not to do that. I mean, it would have been several thousand dollars. He wouldn't have been able to work for a while. And, you know, he tells me that, you know, looking back on it, he regretted that decision because even though he would have taken a small hit in the short term, the payoffs would have been pretty huge had he actually gone down that route and specialized further. So he encouraged me wholeheartedly. I had savings saved up for Hack Reactor, but he offered to help me with whatever else was required. And then, yeah, I worked a little bit longer, gave my employer notice and, uh, yeah, just relaxed. Now, prior to going to Hack Reactor, I did do a fair amount of studying myself just to brush up on as much computer science as I could. You know, there's great resources online from both MIT and Stanford with OpenCourseWare and stanford.edu. Uh, I was definitely trying to shore up as much of the you know fundamental computer science as I could, just because I, you know I had a good understanding of the sort of curriculum I'd be learning at Hack Reactor, and I wanted to fill in the gaps where I thought you know we wouldn't be spending as much time covering.
0: Yeah. So, what was the interview process like for you? Do you feel like when you were applying uh, to Hack Reactor, you already kind of had the foundation down, so it was kind of a breeze, or did you struggle a little bit? What was that experience like?
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely have you know a more technical background than you know most applicants mm-hmm. to Hack reactor, so I didn't have too much trouble. So, you know, we had a pre-court. We had, sorry, we had, there was like a small prompt you had to do on the website to apply, mm-hmm. then you'd have a phone screen, then an on-site. And, you know, by the time I came into the on-site, you know, they were asking me to just do some small programming problems. They brought up functional programming, and then at which point I told them, hey, my first language was scheme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at you know, say sixty one A 61A and UC Berkeley, and like okay, yeah. so clearly you know functional programming. So I did come in with an advantage, having taken a couple of courses at Cal and also spending like a pretty solid chunk of time studying before Hack Reactor. So I didn't have too much time, too okay. much trouble with the interview.
0: Nice. So when you got to Hack Reactor and you started going to class, uh, working on projects, what was that experience like? And in a sense, uh, is that what you expected? Do you think you could have learned that on your own? What value do you think Hack Reactor added to your career and your skills?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, what I'll say about Hack Reactor is, you know, if you are, you know, if you're a very technically adept person, if you come from an engineering background or something like that, the material they cover isn't something that, you know, you can't learn on your own, but like you can definitely learn on your own. The difference, however, is the fact that with Hack Reactor, you're going to this program six days a week and you're staying there. I was there from like nine o'clock to 1 a.m., 9 Mm -hmm. a.m. to 1 a.m. typically most days, Mm -hmm. like the environment that you're in. And then the fact that you're actually given coaches and people who are there to help you it really just accelerates the process. Like what I learned in Hack Reactor in three months would have easily made well over a year, Mm -hmm. maybe even two. And that was if I actually managed to keep a schedule and stay motivated to do that. When you make that jump and you go into a program like Hack Reactor, you're just dedicating yourself to that and you you see results much, much faster. Yeah.
0: Awesome. And I guess to take it back to your previous job as an industrial engineer, now that you've had the experience with software engineering, how would you contrast that experience and in terms of like the challenges you do day to day, as well as Kind of just the overall uh, kind of skill set and where you could take it going forward.
2: Yeah, sure. So you know, biggest contrast with industrial engineering, you know, not to offend any industrial engineers out there, is just you know the opportunity for growth that's present in software engineering. So as I mentioned, uh, as an industrial engineer, I felt like I was tackling the same problem repeatedly. i um, you know, in my current role, you know, I'm facing you know a different problem every day, working with different technologies, just solving novel problems, it, and it's not a matter of like oh, I need you to make X piece of technology do Y. It's you know, our customer, you know, whoever that may be, internal or external, needs this. Provide that somehow. And you know, the fact that you know all the problems are different every single day is one, a great thing. And then two, actually, one of the things I like about software engineering in general is that there's so many opportunities for you to just learn at any given point. Like I read books all the time when I get home, just on you know, different technologies, software engineering, et cetera, and just try to improve myself as much as I can in that sense. So you know, I'd never worked with Elasticsearch before okay, I can dive into Elasticsearch and hey, now I know Elasticsearch. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm a more competent engineer with this additional skill. And you can just do that, you know, forever because there's way too many topics for anyone yeah. to know that well. Definitely.
1: Well, what were some of those books that you, that you read that helped you get through Hack Reactor or
2: in the post-job search process? Okay, so as far as getting through Hack Reactor, I just spent most of my time with the Hack Reactor curriculum except towards maybe the very end where we had our thesis projects. At that point, I was looking more at the open source documentation, you know, open source documentation or just regular documentation for services like that we weren't being taught at Hack Reactor directly like Docker or, you know, some NoSQL databases that we were using that weren't necessarily part Mm -hmm. of the curriculum, but we wanted to experiment with. After Hack Reactor, I would definitely say that uh, for interviews that Cracking the Coding Interview book is, you know, it's a godsend. It pretty much has Mm -hmm. more or less everything you need in it. And it's not quite overkill like that uh, CLRS algorithms book is. Definitely recommend that for anybody. After getting a job, some books that, you know, I've read that I would recommend code complete. It's a bit of a tome. Mm -hmm. It's like a thousand something pages, but it's a great read. A book on design patterns, like the Gang of Four design patterns book, I read some great material in there. It's pretty dry. There's an alternative called Head First design patterns. That's really solid. And honestly, besides that, there's like, you can just Google like software engineering books. They're all great reads, especially when you're a younger engineer and you're just like at that, like you're at that point where you're just still trying to absorb as much as you possibly can. Prior to Hack Reactor, what is it? I did, you know, Stanford's CS... 106b course online which is really solid just foundation on data structures it was in c++ so it's completely different paradigm than something you'd learn at hack reactor right like it tackles much more lower level concepts and it's really powerful to have that sort of understanding when you're looking at higher level languages just because you you better understand what's going on under the hood nice
0: and uh, i think in the pre-interview you were kind of making a comparison between a traditional cs degree and the experience that you get out of Hack Reactor, can you talk a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, yeah, they're they're very very different things. I mean, they're both you know software centric, but I mean computer science you know is a, software engineering and computer science aren't exactly the same thing. So computer science degree does prepare you very very well for software engineering, but you know Hack Reactor prepares you well too. Uh, they're just coming at it from two different angles. So obviously the software engine, the computer science degree is you know much more grounded in theory and like you understand everything that's going on hacker actor gets you on the ground running much faster you know modern technologies that modern companies are using like you can be productive from day 1 that said there will be some you know major gaps in your understanding of the fundamentals if you don't have that additional drive to go out and learn things that you would have learned in a computer science program I'm not saying that every single course in a computer science program you know is 100% required to be a software engineer I wouldn't say 100% of my industrial engineering courses were required to be an industrial engineer but there's you know a lot of things that are definitely worth your time if you're going through a program like Hack Reactor, to learn. That said, I was you know, a strong com- contributor to my team right out of Hack Reactor. But as far as just personal growth goes, you should definitely, like the onus is on you to continue to improve. And yeah, the opportunity is totally there for you.
1: Yeah. And related to talking about your experience after Hack Reactor, how did you approach the search to actually have an experience after Hack Reactor? Like, What was your job search like? How did Hack Reactor tell you to do that? And did you do anything outside of what they told you to do?
2: Yeah. So the hack strategy is to, you know, send out a lot of applications, right? Um, you know, it's a numbers game in that sense. And that's totally true because, you know, a large part of the job hunt is luck. I had one additional advantage that was really great is I have a sister who works in you know, in this area as well, not as an engineer, but, you know, she works in this area. She knows several people. I had some good mentorship uh, while I was going through the program. And, you know, also once the program was over, I was able to get some internal referrals as well. Those are extremely handy because I've, I've noticed... The biggest blocker for people coming out of these sorts of software engineering programs is the initial resume screen. Because typically, if you're applying to Google, Facebook, you know, et cetera, Uber, a lot of these applications, especially for the Android 1 roles, are recent grads from, you know, Harvard, Stanford, et cetera. So it's really hard to get your foot in the door and just pass that initial uh, resume screen. An internal
0: referral definitely helps with that. Nice. What was your interview like at Uber when you were going through the process?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it was pretty standard. Um you know, chat, you know, once you're you know, past the initial gating, right, it's, you know, chat with the recruiter, phone screen, on-site. I like the interview process very much. It tested, you know, a bunch of different, um, you know, a bunch of different domains. It wasn't just like all algorithms, for example, right? Like we had some design, some out, al- like, you know, an algorithms question, uh, system architecture, et cetera. But, you know, I was, you know, I really liked the interview process and um, yeah, I mean, just standard uh, Silicon Valley software engineer interview, right? Did
1: you approach any rejection? How did you overcome that rejection? Or was there anything unexpected during the transition?
2: I mean, rejection was primarily through, uh, you know, the initial, the initial software, uh, sorry, the initial resume reviews. Those were the biggest source of rejections by far. And I mean, rejections happen. I mean, it's, it's like, if you're trying to, you know, go on a date or ask people out Mm -hmm. at a bar or something like you'll get rejected. You just got to be able to move on. Right. So as long as you don't let yourself get discouraged by those initial rejections, you're fine. I mean, the biggest hurdle for anybody going this route to get into software engineering is definitely going to be that first job. Right. Yeah. Because you're kind of an unknown at that point. Like it takes time and money for people to interview you, right? Like you have to take a software engineer who's getting paid, you know, a good amount of money, and you have to take an hour of that person's time to interview you and then multiply by six or seven for an on-site. So it's not a cheap process. So before anyone gets to that stage, they do some extensive screening and like, you know, the obvious thing to screen for is the resume. So it's pretty tricky to get past that first hurdle.
0: Yeah. And just to add to what you're saying is for a lot of companies, when they do bring someone who's more junior to their team, it also takes a lot of the time from the senior engineer who could have been working on some features to now bring up the junior engineer up to speed. So there are a lot of ways, I guess, boot camps prepare you in a way that you already know, hands-on skills that you can apply. But a lot of the times... The companies that do hire a junior person, they'll hire them because they show the initiative to learn and actually like grind and put in the work to get up to speed as fast as possible. Because like we've, my company interviews a lot of junior engineers, and that's definitely something we're looking for. Is like, are they gonna be like, how fast are they gonna get up to speed compared to someone else um, coming out of college or one of the other boot camps?
2: Yep, that's absolutely the case. I mean, that's pretty much what they're looking for at the onsite right if you're if you're a junior engineer like you know you're being interviewed by these people and then the major expectation is look we don't expect you to be the top dog like you know day one but we want to see like okay are you capable of being a contributor to this team in a reasonable amount mm-hmm. of time whether you come from a university background or a software in, or like you know, a software bootcamp background is irrelevant like that's what the onsite's there for
1: yeah and so like what are you up to now uh, what are your plans for the future what's next for you
2: yeah sure so i'm on the application health team at uber that's on so you know, to give a little bit more clarification there's program and platform teams program teams are more product oriented it'd be stuff like you know the the driver app or uber pool or something like that platform teams are you know more in the infrastructure side of things application health within that is uh, in charge of monitoring you know application health so if the application's crouching too much uh, out in the wild we get some metrics on that we try to diagnose exactly what's going on there's a whole bunch of you know extra stuff it's obviously a lot more complicated than that but that's kind of the gist of it I'm working as a full stack engineer. Actually, fun fact: uh, going onto that team, I was you know, one, pretty much the only person that had a modern JavaScript background. Everyone else on that team had been working in industry for several years, closer to a decade. But last time they did JavaScript was maybe jQuery. Uh. So that is one big bonus I will give to Hack Reactor. I definitely had a much stronger React Redux background than anyone else who was on that team, you know, working full stack. But in addition to that, you know, I'm doing Python, uh, working with you know stuff like Kafka, Elasticsearch, you know, SQL. And actually, I'll be headed to CodePath, another boot camp, starting uh, this Monday, actually. My manager was kind enough to nominate me for a spot in Uber's CodePath uh, Android session, which is, you know, it's going to be going on for another eight weeks or so starting next week. And yeah, I'm going to learn some Android dev.
1: That's awesome. Um, yeah, we we're, we are very familiar with CodePath. Michael Allison is a good friend of ours there. Can you, can you tell the people a little bit more about CodePath and uh, why Uber nominated you to go in this direction?
2: Yeah, sure. So. Um, CodePath is kind of an interesting boot camp. It's very different than stuff like, you know, say Hack Reactor, which is geared towards uh, folks who don't have a software engineering background and want to break into it. CodePath is more like a continuing professional education for existing software engineers. Actually, like the typical CodePath student has been in industry for, you know, a fairly long amount of time. And it's someone who doesn't know Android or they don't know iOS and they want to pick up the skill. And I mean, it's kind of a win-win for everybody because, you know, companies are in, you know, companies are looking for good Android and iOS developers, right? Mobile is pretty much the future. And, um, you know engineers want to learn iOS and Android because it's a very lucrative skill to have so the way it works right now is it you know seems to me again I haven't I haven't spoken uh, extensively with the people who actually run codepath but the way it seems to be working is that they'll do a partnership with a company so for example uber and uh, uber will you know slot some of their engineers in the course and you know, also potentially hire some of the additional people in the in the code path program as well just to you know kind of shore up the number of Android or iOS developers they have so I've seen they've done this with Zynga as well and a couple other companies. And yeah, it seems like a really interesting model. I can't wait to start. Yeah. So you never stop learning even uh, after you get a job. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, that's a, that's the whole point. Of yeah. Like, you don't want to be that guy who's not learned anything new in 10 years. I mean, like, yeah. imagine being a JavaScript dev and all you know is like vanilla JavaScript. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sure. So at this point in our podcast, we'd like to do a little lightning round. And that's the part where uh, we'll ask you a series of questions. Try to give us short answers, but answers that have tactics, strategies, resources that you've used to either uh, learn how to code, um, break into startups, or break into tech, or just like life in general. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the first question is, uh, so imagine if you were dropped in a new city, you only had $100
2: and you had to start all over again. What would you do and how would you spend that $100? Hmm. I was dropping to a city with a hundred dollars. Probably would need some food and housing, but aside from that, probably take out a load and do exactly what I did um, mm-hmm. did here. So go to a boot camp. Yeah, I mean, if I'm if this if I don't have my software engineering knowledge that I had from before, mm-hmm. yeah, honestly, I'm very very happy with the decision I made. Got it, got it. And throughout this process, did you
1: have any like warm up routines or psych out routines or any music or movies that you listen to to help you get through any of the roadblocks that you ran into along the way?
2: No, I didn't really have any sort of movies or, you know, music or anything that kept me going. But one thing I did have that helped me out a lot is I made a very close-knit group of friends in the program. And we just, you know, hung out every day. We worked together on our thesis project. And, you know, we're still in touch. Like, we still like I just went out with them the other night. Like yeah, uh, One thing that, you know, really should be emphasized a little bit more about these programs is, like, if you really put your heart and soul into it, you will make some really, really close friendships. Definitely. So another question um, that
0: we'd like to ask is, if uh, now that you've been through this journey, what one piece? What is the one piece of advice that you would want our listeners to know who are trying to break into tech? Hmm.
2: One piece of advice: if you absolutely sincerely want to go down this route and become a software engineer, and you're willing to dedicate yourself like wholly to it and continue to learn and just stay motivated, you absolutely can. Just because you didn't study computer science at Stanford or Harvard or Cal or MIT does not preclude you from going into this industry. Like there's a serious need for good software engineers and it's never too late. Nice. Can you share any other online resources that helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, you know, there's courses online, great courses online from, uh, you know, Stanford and MIT. Uh, What is it? The basic computer science courses that they have online are great. If you want to get a little more mathy, you can take the street math online Uh, From MIT. In addition to that, if you want just straight up interview prep, I felt that HackerRank's learning section was really solid. There's a lot of practice stuff there in a whole bunch of different categories, everywhere from algorithms, data structures to like combinatorics and you know just basic Python and Java. Those were my favorites.
0: Well, uh, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Hmm. Are you on any social media? Twitter?
2: No, I'm not. I'm not a super uh, social media sort of person. But uh, if you have any questions and you want to reach out to me, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. Just preface it with saying you're not like a recruiter yeah (laughs) because yeah that's another thing once you start working as a software engineer for those of you who aren't right now you will get a lot of recruiter mail on linkedin yeah yeah so they could
1: just tell you that um they heard about you through the breaking the stars podcast and you'll respond yeah absolutely all right cool got it nice awesome
0: well thanks a lot man that great story and uh we're looking forward to having you back on our podcast and hearing what you're up to in a few months
2: yeah awesome looking forward thanks so much for having me on thanks man thanks thanks, man man. Thanks for
0: checking us out, we appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.